Hey, it's Pius, engineer and community college instructor. Rachel joined me in this episode. She's our resident school administrator and former high school teacher. We spoke on March 25th over the internet after a shelter-in-place order in Austin, Texas, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And I wanted to ask Rachel, how is your school district handling all this? Last week, my district that I work for technically was back off spring break, but we were closed. But we started working with our teachers right then to figure out what online learning might look like, knowing that we might have to extend our closure. And I've told everybody this because I'm just so super proud to work with this amazing group of educators. Everybody already had backup plans. I was impressed. Uh, Every single teacher I talked to had ideas for what they wanted to do, how they wanted to send it home, the apps they were going to use, what they were going to do for kids that didn't have cell phones or internet access or, you know, reliable Wi-Fi or whatever. Everybody had ideas. They were good to go. So it was really, really impressive to see that whole kind of makeshift system roll out. But as far as being on the home front, my son was on spring break last week, so I didn't make him do a lot of schoolwork. But this week, both districts are closed, and next week, both districts are closed. So not only am I doing my job as an administrator and helping teachers and families through that process, but I'm also homeschooling my son. And... When I say I'm homeschooling, we're doing actual work. He has online assignments. He does worksheets. He's been working with flashcards. He has structured recess. He has a designated um, breakfast time, a designated lunch time. He has a morning Zoom meeting with his teacher every morning. So it's like we have a real schedule and we stick to it and it's not all loosey-goosey. So it's it's pretty much like three jobs right now. What's harder, teaching or administering remotely? So it's, that's kind of not a fair comparison only <laughs> because, the cons- well, just the concerns I have are different. Teaching my own kid is stupid hard because he's stubborn and I'm stubborn and he's my kid and I'm his mom. And so the the dynamic is different. Teaching remotely is... I mean, it's great to be able to offer all kinds of innovative ideas and unique opportunities that you don't always have the time or ability to tackle during a regular school year. So having that freedom and having that option for creativity is, is really cool. But then you worry about the kids that aren't able to log in or kids that you see they're turning in their work, but they're turning it in at like one thirty in the morning or, you know, are the kids that don't have access and I, I gave them handouts and packets and stuff. Are they actually sitting there doing it or do they need to ask questions? How do I get a hold of them? And then the, the third level of that is I worry about the welfare of families. Do they have food? Do they have electricity? Do they have hot water? Is someone now without a job? Did, you know, do we have families who are now unemployed who used to have income? What barriers that 
didn't used to exist now exist? And who are those impacted families and what can we do to help them? Hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's like comparing kangaroos to toothpicks to I don't, butterflies or something. There's no, oh my gosh. they're just so they're different. They're all wonderful in their own ways. So, <laughs> well, let's, let's break it down then. Like I am like really curious as an administrator, your welfare problems sound to me like the most pressing number one and the most complicated because those are complex problems. They're problems that largely existed before the coronavirus. Yes. And now you have to try to take care of it from afar somehow. So what are, number one, the the main problems you see in terms of the welfare of your students and families in your district? And how are you trying to tackle that? Well, so, you know, like I just said, we have students who the older students are kind of responsible for babysitting or helping to take care of their younger siblings because mom and dad work one or two jobs each. And so it, it just falls on the older kids' shoulders to kind of get after school snacks together and things like that. But then on top of that, not everybody has the luxury of being able to work from home. So I, without knowing, um, without anyone having reached out to me personally, I am just about a hundred percent certain that we have families in our community who used to be employed and now are not. They either were furloughed or laid off or or whatever it happens to be. And so these are families that used to know how, you know, to pay bills and put food on the table and things like that. And now there's a different level of uncertainty for them. And here we are hounding, not hounding, but it probably feels like hounding by sending out email, um, email communications and text communications and phone messaging and remind application messaging and and Facebook messaging and all this stuff. We're bombarding them with all this information about how their kids can keep learning. And in the meantime, they are just trying to look for another job or, you know, find money or, you know, reach out to their parents for help or whatever it happens to be. And so, balancing that, it it really is a juggling act for how do we take care of our kids, but also how do we take care of our families? And again, unfortunately, the best that we can do is kind of keep providing and uh, brokering, I guess, information. So for students and families that don't have Wi-Fi access, um, they can go to the school and sit in the parking lot or sit anywhere close to a building, essentially. And we have opened up guest Wi-Fi. Wow. There are also internet companies that if you if your location has the capability, they will come out and hook up Wi-Fi for free. Yeah, I um, saw that. And so we give them that, that information. But I mean, and we, we've provided, let's see, last. So what we do is once a week, we send out enough meals uh, for each child in the community to have enough food for a week. So instead of handing out food two or three times a week, we only do it once a week, but we give a week's worth at once. And last week, I believe we handed out something like 175 or 200 sets of meals. This week, it was 360 or 70. Um, and each one lasts five days. So we're looking at well over 1,500 
individual meals, but you know, 360 some odd sets. Wow. So making sure that, it, you know, every home or every kid anyway has at least a little bit of food. You know, those are the, some of the things we do. We're also sending out um, video messages that just say, you know, we miss you. We miss your kids. We know it's a struggle. We're all in this together. We, we love our families and we want to be here for you. And so, I mean, it, we are limited, especially with shelter in place. It's not like we can go to individual houses and, you know, do one-on-one tutoring sure. or even have small group tutoring. We're just not allowed. With shelter in place here around Austin, Travis County, one of the, what's the word? One of the points, I guess, that they wanted to emphasize is that essential businesses and jobs are still running. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like this is an essential job, providing food for your students, for example. So you obviously have to still be working. How do you also promote the safety of your own staff, the people handing out meals, your teachers who might be having their own, you know, personal crises, taking care of their own kids and their own home situation while they have to teach as well? How do you take care of your own um, team members? So again, I mean, we have to, we have to follow the health guidelines. So we're limiting how many people can be in the building at one time. Um, but also I, I should preface all of this with all of the work that we have done so far happened before the shelter in place orders were issued. Okay. So we don't currently have a formalized plan for what we will be doing on Tuesday to distribute the meals and things, it'll probably, we will probably have to limit even further the number of people who are assisting. And we'll probably have to wear protective equipment of some kind. How do you get that protective equipment? Because even my friend who's a nurse, she's having trouble, you know, their their department's having trouble getting all sure. of that protective equipment because there's strict guidelines on who gets that. The, I mean, the best that we can do is probably check in the nurse's office to see if there are just, you know, regular medical masks or, you know, the face masks yeah. and, um, and gloves. As a side note, uh, I've heard of several people who use their sewing skills and DIY skills to try to create some face masks using like HEPA filter material and cloth mm-hmm. combined together. And even the city of Austin was collecting donated DIY masks and not because it's as good as official certified N95 masks, but because there's a little bit of benefit. Mm-hmm. Would your school district be looking for that kind of help or I don't even know how that works. Does the I state government help you with that kind of thing? <laughs> wow. We're all trying to figure that out. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. We um the the administration team on on my care at my district because we are so small we're able to I mean we can jump on a Google Hangout very quickly we text each other a lot um but we also have a standing meeting every week so Monday morning we'll meet and probably hash out some of that mm-hmm. and figure out who is going to be at what locations to hand out food and limit it even for, like I said, just limit it even further. And then instead of having three or four people to hand out uh, meals or distribute those meals, we might only have one or two. 
you talked about how this whole situation, of course, is probably causing a lot of anxiety and you don't want to be causing extra anxiety on your families, like the parents or the kids. Do you find that your school counselors are having to do something extra or that any of your staff are doing something extra to try to address this really unusual crisis? Well, the last I heard, so our mental health services are actually provided in partnership with uh, a couple of Williamson County agencies. So our school counselors are housed at our school, but they're they're not technically school employees. Okay. They're like government kind of. Exactly. They work for a nonprofit agency out of Williamson County and they're assigned to our school. And I know that they had been holding sessions with their students still, but I, I'm not exactly sure what that uh, structure or what that format looks like. Um, I know that when I communicate with staff um, for every four or five informational emails, or I need you to try to do this type of email. Um, I also send out some sort of uplifting email or, you know, just messaging that I saw or um, even just saying thank you and I appreciate you and I miss you. I, you know, I didn't go from an office environment back to a public school district so I could work from home. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I wanted to work with people face to face, hands on. Um, And so, you know, just letting them know that I am here and I, we're all struggling, but we're all, we're still together. We're a family and we will continue Mm -hmm. to take care of each other. However, that happens to look right now. That's cool that a lot of our organizations and neighborhoods and just communities are coming together like that. It sounds like y'all are doing the same. I wanted to ask about what your teachers were doing too. You talked about how obviously giving access to education is a big deal. Mm -hmm. You also talked about how your teachers already had a bunch of ideas for what they were going to do. So what are they doing, number one, for the kids who have internet access? What are the things that in these couple of days seem to be working? Everything under the sun. They're holding Google Hangouts. They have uploaded tons and tons of material into Google Classrooms. They're using online learning platforms. They're using iStation. They're using Prodigy, um, Ed Galaxy, like every educational app that exists practically that we have access to, they're using. They're making um, phone calls to parents, phone calls to kids. They're sending out reminders Um, using a number of different apps, Remind, Google, email, text, you name it. Um, Several of our teachers who have personal Gmail accounts have created a Google Voice number so that they can communicate with their students in an an appropriate and... (laughs) I can't eat this. This is is a tongue twister. (laughs) In and you got a lot to say. And yes, an appropriate and FERPA friendly way. Right. I dare everyone to try to say that no, better that than I like did a poem. faster than I <laughs> did. That was a lot. <laughs> the struggle is real, y'all. But I mean, literally, they're just. It's not like one standard way. No, no, not at all. And I mean, one one teacher even joked. We had a, a secondary teacher conference this after this morning, 
And she said, I dug out my old phone and my landline, which is still active, but I haven't used it in years. And she's using that as her like work phone number now. So she can make the phone call, leave a message or talk with whoever she needs to, whether it's parents, family, students, whomever. And then she unplugs her phone. It's brilliant, you know, so that people can't like call her back and prank her or whatever. And she doesn't have voicemail set up on it, you know, and that's brilliant and super creative. I like Um, how it's an alternative to Google voice where you can have a separate device. So you physically separate work from your personal life. Yes. Yes. Um, We've had teachers, uh, they record videos of themselves and push that out. They're really really busting butt to make sure that kids and families know, you know, we're in it. We are with you. We are here for you. We love you. We miss you. And we're not, we're not going to quit just because we're not all together in the same physical location. I was seeing all these tweets from people about, oh, I've got my kid for one day and I've been trying to teach them for one day and I'm exhausted. Teachers should get paid more. (laughs) It sounds like your teachers, even though they're at a distance, they're still working real hard, which is really inspiring. And I still wonder, gosh, can't we pay them more? I know, I wish we could. Have your teachers been able to get that one-on-one interaction that they normally would have in person? Right. So again, those are where the phone calls and the Google Hangouts come in. Okay. The classes, um, for example, if I teach, uh, I don't know, English 2 during third period, then whenever third period starts is when I get on my Google Hangout and the kids in my English 2 class know that I'm going to be, quote, in my classroom, which is now a Google Hangout. At that time, they can show up, ask questions. We have discussions. The only problem is, and this is, I mean, it goes again with the territory of balancing the needs of students and the needs of families, that we're getting somewhere between 30 and 80% participation, depending on the course, the teacher, the grade level, Mm -hmm. all kinds Mm -hmm. of things. And, you know, it's kind of mixed feedback as well. Some of the kids really love it. Some of the kids are there because they feel they have to be. And some Mm -hmm. kids can't or won't and i i tend to think probably can't they just don't have the ability to be there because of other ongoing family concerns or new family concerns sure but i will say that even having 30 percent participation is so much more effective and provides so much more continuity than if we had nothing at all I was just having that conversation with a group of teachers yesterday because we were talking about how, yeah, online learning kind of sucks sometimes depending on the situation, but it's definitely better than the nothing that everybody would get otherwise. Let's talk about those students you were just mentioning, the people who maybe are not participating for whatever reason. Maybe they just don't have the equipment or you know, life situations are happening and mm-hmm. they cannot focus on school. What can your team and and other schools, I guess, even consider doing for them? Or like, is it just a lost cause? I don't know. Well, I wouldn't say it's a lost cause, but I mean, this is where I'm not sure. I wouldn't say it's a lost cause, 
but I don't know what more we can do. I, and I don't want to get political, but again, there's a significant or at least loud portion of, of the populace, the general populace in America that says, well, teachers should just teach. They, you know, should not be responsible for all this other, you know, like student well-being and so on and so forth. But if students aren't eating or if students are having to take care of younger brothers and sisters or if students are having to potentially work or help their parents find work or I don't know, whatever other things are happening, you can't expect them to tune all of that out and just focus on schoolwork. So a teacher's job is directly impacted by the other things that are going on. And if a student needs counseling or if families need money or if families need food or if, you know, all these other things are going on, then they need to have that in order to make learning happen. So, I mean, it's just always a continuous struggle. It's what what can we do as educators? Let's brainstorm these ideas. Let's get inspiration and thoughts from other places and other people and do the best we can with what we have. Let's do as much as possible where we're at while we're at it. And, you know, I don't know. You can't, you can only, you still can only control so much though. And you all are probably always brainstorming the like what to do about all this. I mean, you talked about these high level solutions at the government level or political level, which makes sense to me. I mean, I personally think we should get political when it comes to access to the internet or access to libraries or whatever, which in the end mm-hmm. could be helpful in, in an emergency situation like this. Um, but teachers, that's not their job, just like you said, not officially. Right. And then for the things that teachers or schools can do, I do remember you mentioned how you were setting up Wi-Fi hotspots where you could just drive up. That's pretty cool. And you're right. Like, I don't know what else you could do. I don't know if you're like snail mailing things um, to people by courier or like... We haven't yet, but we just had that discussion today on oh. our secondary teacher meeting that if we have students or families who aren't logging in, don't have email, can't find a good phone number, you know, let's just go down the list. And if all we have for them is a mailing address or a physical address, then let's put stuff together and we will go either mail it to them or drop it off. And just to be clear, you said you had 30% participation. Does that mean like 30% of your students are fully engaged online and that like 70% of your enrollment, your enrolled students you have to find some other way to reach them. 30% is better than, than zero. No students right. are participating at all. Right. But we also have between 30 and 80% of our secondary students are logging in to Google Classroom. Okay. They're turning in assignments. So it's the observable participation rate, I guess, is what I would say. Um but again, we don't know what the learning looks like at the elementary level because until uh, Monday and Tuesday, or tu- yes, Tuesday, I'm sorry, of this week, which was just yesterday, <laughs> our third, fourth, and fifth graders were not allowed to take their Chromebooks home. Hmm. So they've only just now received the ability to do their online learning 
facilitated by the district. Um, and then we sent um, homework packets or, you know, I think we're calling them at home packets uh, for all of our elementary students. But we don't necessarily get the data back on who's logging in, who's doing what, who's turning in what assignments for what teachers and so on and so forth. So from a the standpoint of an administrator or even at the state level, trying to track how effective online learning is, is very difficult when not every student is systemically enrolled in a certain way. So for example, at a junior college or at a university, there are systems in place to make sure all of that information can be tracked. In a K-12 environment, not so much. There are some schools that may have that, but plenty who don't. And again, when those life circumstances get in the way, can you really ask a 13-year-old kid whose mom or dad or both just lost their jobs, I'm sorry, you have to put all that aside and only focus on your schoolwork right now. Mm -hmm. Of course you can't do that. That's not even, I mean, that's mean. That That's my personal opinion but if if anyone were to look at a child and say, oh, well, I'm sorry that your parents lost their job, but you're just going to have to suck it up and do your schoolwork, that is mean. And I would not expect that. So, yeah. the con and again, it's a conundrum. We want what's best for our students and families. And one of those things is a continuity of learning and a continuity of, of systems that we're able to provide. However, comma... We have to be flexible. We have to acknowledge that there will be extenuating circumstances that we have no control over and have no way to fix. And we have to, as educators, still be able to do the best we can to make sure that the student learning, once they come back to us, picks up and, and takes off again. And that's that really has to be our focus. That's all we can do. You're in for the long game as well. It's not just like these Band-Aids now. You're, you're thinking ahead yes. to what do you do when these students come back? Because they will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to even get down into the weeds a little more. I was thinking about curriculum then with stuff that you were just talking about. I've heard um, during crisis scenarios, there's that famous story, I think, of Mr. Rogers who had a TV episode when I think there was the Kennedy assassination, but like he, I don't know. well, basically during a crisis or even during nine 11, I think Mr. Rogers was, there was an episode of, or, or a film of him supposedly uh -huh. talking directly to children or to families yes. to talk where about he says, look for the, the helpers. Exactly. And then I feel like there's another train of thought where, you know, when something really nasty has happened and you go to school, sometimes you want a distraction and you just want to talk about math and you don't want to talk about the crisis. Do you think that there's any recommended strategy in curriculum whether or not to talk about the COVID-19 virus and all the after effects? Do, you, do teachers bring that into the lessons now or do they leave it out? I'm not sure if any of them do, but I know that um, my email has been inundated with lots of um, lots of ideas that are research and evidence based on how to talk to children mm -hmm. 
about what's going on in the world around them. I think that it could be a good civics lesson. I think that it could be a good health lesson. It could be a good counseling session. But I am not sure that I would ever assign that to a teacher because there are so many ways that it could go wrong Mm -hmm. as well. And some of those conversations are just best held face to face. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you also talked about uh, bringing or letting your students bring Chromebooks home and everything. I'm wondering if there's any weird IT issues or data privacy issues, (laughs) um, FERPA and all these strange things. (laughs) Cause you talk about FERPA, like your IT guy, I I shouldn't say IT guy. I keep using that phrase, but your IT team, is this a nightmare for them? Like tracking all this equipment floating around? um, Well, she, she's actually really highly organized. Um, Our team is a team of one. Um, She's super organized. And even though she didn't have anything in place, prior to this situation, she had ideas in her head. So for her to be able to put together at least a short-term system was, it didn't, if it was difficult for her, I will say that it didn't seem difficult for her. She was instrumental. She got it done very quickly. It was smooth. It was seamless. Um, She worked with the teachers and the principals to make sure everybody's, um, everybody's uh, devices were being tracked and, you know, kept track of and numbers logged and all the things. I will say that one of the things or one of the issues that I've uh, come up against recently is that as more and more people are using more and more online uh, platforms, there's also an increased likelihood of of hacking. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was on a Zoom conference this morning, as a matter of fact, And we were hacked by two random individuals that had nothing to do with anyone in the group. Really? Yes. Yes. And they were just screaming completely inappropriate things. And it was a password protected meeting. You had to be invited and you had to have a password. It's really weird. So, so that's, I think that's a concern. Um, But we, I do know that our IT person and both of our, principals and our superintendent sent information to parents that said, you know, there there's going to be an increased risk of hacking and people fishing for information and scammers and, you know, all of those things. So again, go back to the basics. If there's an email address you don't recognize, just don't open, you know, don't even open the email. If someone says click on a link, probably don't click on the link. Don't download the attachment, you know, <laughs> all of the all of the basic things. So it sounds like is she is your IT person, she's really pushing cybersecurity even oh, to your yeah, students yeah. now? Is she Absolutely. part of like teaching them? Oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. I didn't even think about that. Oh yeah. And it wasn't I mean this morning's interruption, it it wasn't funny because the hackers were just screaming absolutely inappropriate things. And our host was mortified, mortified. Um, and I felt so badly for her because she felt responsible. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I emailed her separately later and I just said, it's not your fault. The hackers are out in full force. And even though I don't know how to do it, I know that it doesn't take much to write a bot that'll create random you know, um, meeting codes any and kind of passwords. Yeah. Sure, so they yeah. can just jump into any, you know, it could have been us. It could have been anybody else. 
So, and, but I, I understood how she felt. She felt this was a space where administrators and other leaders had come together to share ideas, to help support communities and families and parents and students. And then it was like we were violated. Somebody yeah. came into our safe space. Somebody came into, I mean, if, if you think about it, it'd be like someone bursting into a private meeting room right? and, you know, just doing awful things. So I, I understand. Um, but that's, sort of a new concern, I think I would say. It makes you think about protecting any online classrooms you're going to have with your students because you certainly wouldn't Absolutely. want that for them either. I guess everyone's going to learn how to kick people out of their <laughs> online We're all going to learn how to lock down those, those settings. Yeah. Yep. What are your next steps as an admin slash educator? Like immediately, I'm going to yeah. take a nap pretty soon. Hey, oh, good advice. <laughs> I think that everybody needs it. Um, I don't know. I guess just to, <laughs> I, I guess I just need to keep checking in with, with my community. I'm actually putting together, um, we've had a lot of communication go out, but most of it's been in English. And I don't think anyone in my district yet has done a Spanish language video um, so I, I, I wrote a script and I sent it to several of our staff who are bilingual mm -hmm. and said, you know, take a look at this and please make edits or give me your thoughts or ideas. And if there's information that I left out, please tell me or put it in there. That's fine. I gave them edit access um, so that I can record a video and send that out to our English, uh, English learners and their families um, so that they're included in this conversation. They know how to access the information. They're not lost in, you know, navigating systems that are primarily written in a language that they're still learning. That's not fair to them. Yeah. That's a big priority for me right now as well. And then just getting up every day, keeping the routines, being a good teacher to my homeschool son, being a good teacher to my teachers, being a good um, support for the community and being a good team member for the other administrators. I think, I mean, That's it's a lot. one step at a time. Yeah. It's day by day. Totally. Well, Rachel, thanks for doing all of that and good luck oh, with Pius, everything. Thanks for letting me share my story. I appreciate it. You're always welcome. We're talking at a distance. That's easy to do for us, but it sounds like it's going <laughs> it to be is. harder for all the schools. So, yeah. If anyone out there has ideas um, or things that you see that are going well in your communities and you want to share them, now's the time. I mean, yeah. you know, let's, let's all be in this together for real. Rachel Farrig joined me, Pius Wong, for today's podcast. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is sponsored by my studio, Pios Labs, in Austin, Texas, and also by The Engineer's Guide to Improv and Art Games, a book available through Amazon and other booksellers. The show is also made possible by incredible individuals donating to the show on Patreon. You can help me keep the podcast up by donating online, too. Just check out patreon.com slash pioslabs. Visit the podcast website for show notes, links, transcripts, and more. Go to k12engineering.net. That's k12engineering.net. Thank you for listening. 
and sending us your comments and your questions and take care out there.